We're starting a new series, the book of 1 Peter. As we look at these five chapters in 1 Peter, it is some of the richest content that you will find describing who we are in Christ. Now, all things considered, that as we go through this scripture, I want you to recognize that it is written to persecuted Christians living in Asia Minor. Now, the reason that is significant to you is because in Western culture, I hear all the time, I'm being persecuted. I got to say, we do not really have a clue in what it is like to be persecuted. And another thing that we battle in Western culture is that we think that if something comes against us or someone comes against us, then maybe we're not walking in the favor of the Lord, which is not scriptural either. And so the goal is in covering this series, we're going to be covering it passage by passage, and we're going to start off with the promise of security in our relationship with God. And there are many reasons to be insecure nowadays. You know, I, I hear Pastor Kelly regularly when he talks about our electronic giving. He says it's safe and secure. Who have found at times their bank account has not been safe and secure. There's been a few stories I've heard recently about that. Where even if you have fraud protection on your account, it might be days before you get your money back. And the frustration and the wondering, how are things going to get paid for? You know, recently I, I received an email and it looked exactly like it was from the United States Postal Service. And it said that I needed to click a specific link to track my package. And I did one last check before I clicked. I looked at what the source was from, the, where the email originated from. And it was a Gmail account. And immediately I said, I'm not clicking that. And the reality is that in our day-to-day -day lives, there are many reasons now to be insecure, and this causes us to have this lack of trust. Now, hopefully in your relationships, you have built up enough trust that there's no room for insecurities there. But if you have regularly been hurt, it can cause us to be pretty insecure people. And so I want us to look at a promise that Peter immediately gives us right away in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're just going to be looking at the first two verses today, if you'd turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. I'm going to read. It says, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father, listen to this, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace, and peace. Let's pray. 
Father God, I just want to thank you for your word. Lord, I want to thank you for immediate hope spoken in times of despair. God, I pray that no matter where we are at, Lord, your word can speak to us. Even if our circumstances in our life are great right now, Lord, your word can speak. And so, Lord, I pray that your word be seared to the hearts and minds of everyone here. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen, amen. So we're looking here in 1 Peter, and I, just a few nuts and bolts that I want to establish of this, that Peter is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers, and so we're going to look at this through that lens because one of the first things he says that just strikes me is he referred to them as foreigners. And you know what's odd? They were people that belonged to those nations. But he called them foreigners. And what, what this basically referred to was there was a sense that they did not belong. Have you ever been to a place where you felt like you did not belong? You know, I've been to quite a few different countries, and there are places I have been where I tend to stand out a little bit more than others. And in January, MOVE is taking 63 other people to Thailand, and we are going to become a spectacle the community is going to gather and be like, what are all these Americans doing here? And I found that in some of the countries I visited, you know, Americans tend to look like giants. Our demeanor is much different, particularly than that of Thailand. In Thailand, they're very quiet and meek people, and mostly you'll find with Americans the opposite. And... Um, as unique as those kind of experiences are, there is a lack of comfort and a sense, I don't belong. I don't belong here. And something I believe, I think it's naturally by God's design that we gravitate towards people we are like and drawn to familiarity. And God instituted that actually at the Tower of Babel. If you look to Genesis chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, listen to this. Because what they were doing was they were becoming a uniformed people. They were, they were all becoming as one. And it wasn't that they were building this huge tower to the heavens. It was that they were trying to become little g gods themselves. And this is what God did. It says in uh, Genesis eleven six. 6, it says, look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. And so what you've, what you've created is you've created this idea of foreigners. And so even though there are places in the world that I can go that's kind of like a melting pot. It's got people from all different sorts of cultures. They might all speak one trade language. Um, or even if you consider the United States, where it is a melting pot. We still tend to gravitate towards people that we're familiar with, that we share common interest with. We find this with faith also. 
So when you hold the belief in Jesus, you are going to find many who disagree with you in this world. And even though you might look at the message of Christ as one of love and hope, someone else might look at that message as a message of hate. And for those people, it's a straight rejection of what we understand is truth. And so we risk becoming persecuted for it. Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. It says, A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And a child will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth. The Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. And I, I find this fascinating because Western culture teaches such a different approach to the understanding of the gospel and how it is affected in our everyday lives. But Jesus further taught to bless and pray for those who persecute you. It didn't say retaliate. It didn't say be argumentative. Bless and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 6 that we ought to seek to be peacemakers. Think about this. Because of the character of Jesus Christ and the expectation that we should have in portraying his love, this comes at the expense of potentially being persecuted for what we believe. Now I want to say in Scripture there's no promise that you will be persecuted as individuals. But there's also no promise that you will be at peace with people on this earth. It doesn't occur. Now, I believe, because God's word confirms it, that he will give you a sense of peace, and he is going to give you peace in your spirit for each and every encounter if you seek him. But he never promised earthly wealth. He never promised you'd go without conflict. He never promised you'd go without trouble. In fact, what I find as I look in Scripture time and time again, it's quite the opposite, as long as you're living rightly. Think about that. If you are seeking the Lord with everything you got, there is a greater chance that it is going to occur that you are going to have persecution, conflict, trouble. Matthew 16, it says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. What I have found, the further I go with Christ, the more I should not be part of this world. There's a reason you are referred to as foreigners in the scripture because once you have an understanding of who you are in Christ, there becomes this longing for heaven and the things of eternity and less of a desire for the things of this earth. It's not an immediate thing. I found it to be a, a, a process. But listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 18 through 19. He says, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer, everyone say no longer. 
you are no longer part of the world. I choose, chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Now the implication, there are many things that we can apply from this scripture, is that the world is decaying and it's sentenced to death and only in Christ is there true life. But as I alluded to in Western culture, I would issue you a warning because we have this tendency to love the world or be captivated by it more than eternity. Listen to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I know there's a lot of scripture this morning, but we are, we are going over some doctrinal understandings. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. Are you guys catching this? For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. That's strong. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, I want to be clear here because I, I, I want us to have an understanding in how we approach. We are in the world, aren't we? You know, I'm going to drive home in my car. I like to drive a decent car because I don't want to get broke down on the way home. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are natural things that, that happen. And so you're saying, well, pastor, are you saying, you know, you, gotta, you, you can't have a nice car. Maybe you need a, a, a humble house. or it, it, We can get all these ideas, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't love and appreciate things in this life, like family, the work you do, even possessions. But what you have to determine in your own heart, are you solely devoted to those things? Can you live without them? Think about it. People we love, they're going to pass away. Material possessions, they fade away. They decay. It requires us purchasing something new. But if you keep your focus on God, I'm telling you, he is focused already on you. In fact, our main text that we read specifically says that he has chosen you. Who embraces that in Jesus' name? I want to look at that word chosen for just a moment because there, this, is, this creates a lot of doctrinal conflict in Christianity because they also have used the word elect. Who has heard that word before? Okay, so it uses the word elect. And I want to talk for just a moment on God, our, our understanding of God's foreknowledge. You guys know what foreknowledge is, don't you? 1 Peter chapter 1 is the backbone for Calvinists standing on this word elect. And this translation uses the word chosen. But I want to be clear. Before Christ came to the earth, Jews were referred to as the chosen people of God. When Jesus came, he died for all. Amen? Amen. Romans 10, 12. Listen to this. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. 
Did I say some? Say just the ones I've chosen. It says all. Listen to John 3.16. You should all know this verse by heart. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I love the, tra- there, there's several translations that uses the word whosoever. That is not God handpicking who believes. That is an open door. That's an open door. But God, what he does is he uses his foreknowledge. He knew the choices you make. And because you have chosen Christ, he has already chosen you because, he's, because he sent his son to die for you. That is what makes you chosen. And because you can be called chosen, you can also accept that he is not going to leave you. He is not going to forsake you. And you do not have to walk through this life alone. Can you say amen to that? And to be chosen, it helps us embrace that even in worldly despair, we can look forward to eternity as children of God. What I want you to do is I want you to embrace that Jesus died for you and you are now set apart in him. That's the thing that makes you different. Now I want to be clear about something else. Just because you are chosen just because God in his foreknowledge knew that you were going to accept him, does not mean you can do whatever you want. I was thinking, I don't think we have any in this room, to my knowledge. I was thinking about trust fund babies. And particularly if you look at the people who are considered celebrities, all because they were raised in wealthy households. You know the ones that are on the news regularly. They're covered as celebrities. And it seems like they can do whatever they want, including illegal activity, and get away with it. Have you noticed that? And you see the behaviors, and there doesn't seem to be much reprimand for it. But I want to be clear This is different because as much as God has chosen you, you must choose him. Now, if you are in him, if you are in Christ, if you are seeking Christ, then he is also in you. So I want to strengthen this doctrinal belief that as God, he will never abandon you or forsake you. And he will also never take away your salvation. God cannot do that. It is not in his character. Part of his covenant is if you are in Christ, he is in you also. But you can choose to walk away. You can choose to walk away. It's chosen by what you love and what you're committed to. So for example, if you have sin in your life, With all this knowledge of what Christ has done, 
Scripture teaches us that he cannot remain. And I want to be clear about this. I'm not talking about the kind of sin where I get cut off on the way home and I yell at the person who cut me off. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about willfully committing to sin in our life, saying, God, I understand your word. I know what it says, but I am going to choose to do this. You have made your choice. You've made your choice. And so what God does is he sees He's not the foundation there. He doesn't have a foothold in your life. And it's not that God just withdraws himself immediately. It's that you remove him. Are you hearing me? You are removing him. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, and he said, be enslaved to money. And we can take the God of mammon is what it referred to at the time, and you can plug that in with any sin that you might serve. Jesus further illustrates this by being a house divided. Also, the parable of the house built on the rock versus the house built on the sand. He was accused by the Pharisees of being used by Satan to cast out Satan. And Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. But what it also illustrates is that there is not room for the work of what Satan wants to purpose in your life and the work of what God wants to purpose in your life. It's going to be one or the other. It's going to be one or the other. The redemptive work of Christ on the cross and sin are in direct conflict with each other. You guys see that? So when you confess Christ and you have a heart of repentance, then you are cleansed of sin. Everyone say that word cleansed. So what this means is, this means God sees you as completely new. Completely new. He sees you as covered by the blood and work of what Jesus did. And that is what First Peter refers to these people as, as being cleansed. I want to talk about that word for a moment. Cleansing is an immediate work. Have you ever done like the, the grape juice challenge where you pour in some bleach and next thing you know it turns into that translucent liquid that you dare not drink? Cleansing is an immediate work. Claiming the blood of Jesus Christ, recognizing your sin, that is immediate. God sees you as different. He sees you covered by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And even in that immediate work, it requires our continual obedience. I want you to look at verse 2 of our main text today. I'm just going to read a, a portion of it. It says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the work that the Holy Spirit does inside of us, he makes us holy and he connects us with God, causing us to desire obedience. Are you thankful for that? 
We're going to talk about this for a minute because this is the work of the Spirit of God bring us in connection with God, and it creates a love for his word, and it causes us to desire obedience, and we see the need for it as we grow in the Lord. That's why we say things like, read your word every day. Pray every day. We tell you to, to press into the things of God because what we are doing is we are allowing the Holy Spirit to be stirred up inside of us. That we're desiring the things of Him. We're going to desire obedience. We're going to desire to be more and more like Him. And it is that work because of Christ that Jesus said He didn't come to abolish the law, which was just an understanding of what is right from wrong but that he came to perfect it. In fact, Scripture teaches us that Jesus sets the law in our hearts. That's a work that Jesus does. Listen to Hebrews 8.10. I love this. It says, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Church, that is the work of Jesus Christ, and that is what I am so thankful for. And I pray that you can get an understanding of what that does in your life and how that can bring you closer to God, because it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that is going to bring conviction in your life. And John chapter 16, verses 7 through 8, I want you to listen to this. It says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. This is Jesus speaking. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. I want to talk about this in our work for just a moment. Conviction is a gift from the Lord. Let's say that again. Conviction is a gift from the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I hate the feeling of conviction. In fact, there is nothing more agonizing than the feeling of conviction. Knowing that I've done something wrong, knowing that maybe I've hurt others, knowing that I have displeased the Lord, knowing that I have sinned against myself. I hate that feeling. And that feeling of anguish in your soul when you've done something wrong, that is God's gift of correction in your life. Because imagine the soul without that. Something worth writing down, it's not up on the screen. As long as you're being convicted, God's Spirit is working in you. If you're being convicted, God's Spirit is working on you. But here is the key, and this is something you cannot allow to happen in your life. Don't ignore that conviction. In fact, I encourage you, when you are convicted, you run to the altar of God. You cry out to the altar of God. Because sin not dealt with allows it to take root, and it opens the door to more sin. Then what happens over time? We become desensitized to these things. But once you have discovered the true grace of God, I feel awful for the person that forfeits that. 
There are people that they have discovered the true grace of God, then they allow sin to take over and they push God out. In fact, Hebrews 6 teaches us there's really no coming back from that. Because once you have tasted and seen, but you still reject God and dedicate your life to sin, woe to the man or woman who does that. But you guys, listen to this. This inner work of the Holy Spirit is in an effort to draw us in. To be more like Jesus. And so even though you are cleansed immediately and you're set free of sin, doesn't mean that all the sin, the bad habits, they just go away, they disappear. Don't you wish that was the reality? Don't you wish the day you accept the Lord, you're like, wow, I have, all the pressure is lifted, no temptations, this is awesome. That's not the way it works. And so I'm encouraging you also to allow the Holy Spirit to walk with you through, a pra- through, through the process of sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. I want to define this well for you so you understand it. Sanctification is the process of being set apart or made holy. That is a process. God's Spirit does an immediate cleansing, but the process of sanctification works differently. And part of this work, again, I am so thankful for, that the moment God comes into your life, he says, okay, I've got a list. These are the things you need to work on. And i got to tell you, some of us, it's a book, okay? And so you can only imagine the feeling of God going over each and everything that we need to change in order to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. I got to tell you, I am so thankful I serve a God that doesn't do that. But he calls us through the process of sanctification to become more and more like him. Here's what he does. Once I accept him, I feel that sense of freedom. I feel that sense that that sin is no longer a burden over my life. Just about the time I understand what that freedom is, next thing you know, sin rears its ugly head. And then I have a decision, I have a choice to make in repentance. And then God begins to speak. And what he says is, you know, this is an issue. Let's work on it. And God comes alongside you. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't say, no, that's for you to work on. He comes alongside you and he says, I will remind you. I will help you. I will lead you down this path to be more like my son. And just about the time that I've got that all worked out, God says, okay, now let's work on this other thing. Oh, Lord, I thought I was done. But that's the process of sanctification. That even the the oldest in the room could raise their hands and say, God is still working on me. He's still working on me. The question for you is, ask Kelton to come. Are you open to God working on you? Are you welcoming it? Will you be responsive to that work? 
Because the bottom line is he has already chosen you. So know that he's already walking with you and he's, he's doing this because he loves you and he's not going to abandon you. So you walk through every trial and circumstance and you find him there along with you and God can continue to give you grace and peace if you press in. He's with you. Accept and embrace that he is with you. Know that you are chosen. So he's going to walk with you through the difficulties He's going to walk with you through the circumstances. He's going to be patient with you through the sin. But you've got to have a heart that desires him. That's key. And if you do, accept and embrace. He's already chosen me. I just need to choose him. If you could bow your heads. Lord, I want to thank you for your word and your truth, God. And Lord, even though it's hard for us to be in the shoes of those who are being persecuted, Lord, your word still speaks and it reveals to us who we are in you and helps us examine how we might become more like you. So Lord, I pray for open hearts and minds. Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this word today, it's very specific. You know, he's chosen you, but you need to choose to be in him. You need to embrace what it is he has for you. And there are people in this room, some of you really struggle with that. You struggle with understanding how God's chosen you. That even on a daily basis, as rough as we might look when we get out of bed and look in the mirror in the morning, he's chosen you. He loves you. And he wants to walk with you daily. Embrace it. But something you have to embrace is the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you too on this walk. And so some of you today, you just need to accept he's chosen you. And you need to just commit to choosing him daily. So I'm going to ask. I just want a private moment. So if you could close your eyes. Some of you have been really struggling with this. You struggle with who you are. But you want to embrace God for all he has, for the promises that he's already made over you in his word. And you're going to commit to walking with him daily, for choosing him as he's chosen you. And if that is you that said, Pastor, this has been a struggle, and I just need to, I just need to commit. I need to fully commit. Would you raise your hand if that's you so I know who I'm praying for? Bless God. Bless God. Amen. 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 Wow. 
just where you're at, I just want you to lift both hands to the Lord right now. We're going to choose Jesus. We're going to choose his sacrifice. We're going to embrace that God calls us his children. Lord, I just want to thank you for everyone here that says, Father, I'm insecure in my relationship with you and it's nothing that you have done. God, I want to embrace your son, Jesus Christ, for the work that he has done, that Lord, the the moment I call upon your name, the, the moment I confess that I believe in the work that he has done, that God, I am cleansed. I am set free from sin, and you look at me as your child. And God, that each and every day I choose you, that Lord, I am a chosen son or daughter of God. That, Lord, you have purposed in me eternity. And that, God, I can understand that that this road that you have me on, it's a process and it's, it's it's not perfect because I haven't made it perfect. But, God, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you and I'm going to embrace each and everything you have for me. And I'm going to leave an open door for your Holy Spirit to do a work in me. God, that I won't reject it when there's conviction. Lord, that we will run to it, Father. And we embrace the things of you and not the things of this world. Because, Lord, this world just offers death. But, Lord, you offer life, hope, peace, mercy, grace. God, we want to embrace the things that are everlasting. Praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.